welcome to Clicking Balls episode, uh, who gives a shit, this one's about Formula One, um, we we didn't really cover the f- opening uh, episode of Formula One because it was pretty shit-ass race in Melbourne, I mean, that's what you'd expect from the Melbourne track, but um, the race in Malaysia that was on the weekend was really exciting, and so here we are, first one for the season. I think the the main reason the Melbourne race is never exciting is because every team's still trying to figure out what the hell it's doing. Um, the only great races we had in Melbourne when it's wet. Yeah, exactly. Wet race in Melbourne is good, but a wet race will make any track an exciting race. I think it's just the circuit layout. It's just not conducive to overtaking and exciting races. That being said, there is the occasion that you know certain things in the midfield can make it exciting. It's usually a crash, though. Yeah. Actually, I think um, with the new engines, with the um, new electronic uh, electric recovery system, that extra boost will start rewarding people who, instead of diving into the corner late to try and overtake, yeah. are going to take a wider line and get out of the corner earlier. Yeah. Um, and I think Melbourne is one of those tracks where that can help, especially um, leading on to the long, uh, long round sweeping curves. You're going to have people who are, they'll take a wider line, uh, might pick up a bit of, bit of dirty, dirty rubber, but then yeah. when you can just drop the hammer early, dump your um, curves energy and just really rip it out of that corner, I think there's going to be, you know, as they increase the power of the um, energy recovery system, you're going to see a lot of a lot better racing. Yeah, and especially in the Malaysian circuit, it's a bit more conducive to different racing lines in um, with different cars, depending on if you've got a sort of a um, aerodynamically you know, intense setup, or if your yeah. engine is just dominating down the straights. Your entry and exits can really make a big difference. But um, anyway, Malaysia, we we started off. Um, we weren't sure actually who was going to be on the grid after a pretty disastrous Melbourne Grand Prix. Um, we had, what was it, 11 finishes? Yeah, in the end. Poor old Jensen Button, the only man to, to miss out on the points. And I mean, that was surprising for, for McLaren anyway. He ended up retiring before the end, but I don't know, he actually got to the end, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he did, well. It was, it was a war of attrition and he lasted the longest. And I mean, as long as it was good data, then fair enough. But I mean, he ran around the track the whole day and got nothing for it. There was only one, only one to do that. Yeah, I think any time you're lapped as a driver, you pretty much want to bin it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, especially, well, for the for historically, to get into Formula 1, you have to be really good and you have to be successful in the lower categories. And so to get to the, the pinnacle and then just to start sucking, it must just be heartbreaking. Well, Buttons had, um, for so long of his career, he had that reputation as a decent driver but not really much chop yeah it wasn't until his breakthrough year with um the Braun team yeah you know, the in between Honda and Mercedes oh, pretty much Honda just fucked up and went nut pulled the pin and turned out they had an awesome car in the works yeah oh, and you know Braun, Ross Braun was left to uh do the car he wanted and he created the double blown diffuser um it, which just let them absolutely dominate the the story going around is that at testing, Button's old man came down and saw the car, yep. um, saw the times that Jensen was doing, and put a hundred grand on to win the WDC at like twenty-five to one. It was something ridiculous like that. Now you never know if any of these things are true, but uh, you can be damn sure there was money won there. Yeah, I think it was pretty much confirmed. I'm pretty sure it was confirmed. But um, yeah, in in testing, they, I mean, all well, McLaren struggled, but. You get to Melbourne and you don't really know where you want to slot in because there's all sorts of fun and games going on during testing and um, it turned out to be pretty predictable on where it was going to end up. Maybe Red Bull was surprised about having to struggle a little bit, but... Actually, that is a funny thing. Like, 
the stories coming out of the Red Bull camp are all about the Renault engine being shit. Yeah. Which it is. It's yeah. about 80 horsepower down, yeah. which is you're firing on one less cylinder, yeah, essentially. Because exactly. um, the engines run at, what, 500 uh, to 800 horsepower, depending? I think up to 800, yeah. Yeah. So 10% down on power. It It's just a crazy amount. Yeah, exactly. And especially when... It's a lot hard to, to make it up mid-season. I mean, you've got the tokens which you've got to cash in for engine development. Mm. And um, Red Bull are the ones with the most tokens left. But still, if you've got no engines left and you're taking penalties, then there's no really whole point in having tokens in hand. No, and they don't carry over either. No. So I think Red Bull have pretty much just realised they're so far behind in terms of engine, they're going to start focusing on next year's car in a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, they've actually employed... Um, What's his name? Ilian from Ilian Motorsports, who actually mm. built the uh, turbocharged. I think it might have been Toyota. No, GM Badger. That's right. He built the turbocharged engine for Indy cars, and he got uh, General Motors to to badge it. Or it might have been Ford, Ford or General Motors to badge it, and stuck it in an Indy car, and just killed it. I think it was with um, might have been with Penske team. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, Red Bull have employed him to help out Renault with their engine. So you can see the, the relationship there. It's, it's fucked. They're not going to go too far. Yeah, especially with Renault now looking to buy back in and get a works team. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. I mean, um, you know, they, they sold off a while back and then yep. now they're trying to get back in. Um, the thing is, though, there's there's still openings. Like yeah. It's not a, a closed uh, yeah. closed field. Yeah. So if you're the two names going up to Toro Rosso and Force India, if you're the owner of those teams, you're not really going to be able to ask for a, or a crazy high price. Yeah. It's going to be pretty much rock bottom. Well, that's it. And all the talk before the Malaysian race, it was about um, Renault having an interest in Toro Rosso. Mm. And I mean, with Toro Rosso finishing above Red Bull, you think, well, they might have been intentionally, might have had the intention to sell it. But if they're going better than their supposedly parent team, you can't see them giving Renault a bargain and selling off um, Toro Rosso when they're still doing better than Red Bull. Yeah, I I don't know if that'll stick. I think um, Red Bull's all over the shop at the moment. Um, and part of that's probably because uh, Ricardo had such a breakout season last season, yeah. and he, he actually said uh, in the Melbourne race he was getting bored. Yeah, you know, because he didn't have the car that could push anyone. He had no chance of overtaking. Yeah, he was just trying to consolidate from the first corner. Well, that's it. And like he'd, he'd be able to follow someone through <coughs> through the corners and set up an overtake for a straight, but the power's not there. So all the hard work you've done during the corners becomes irrelevant. Yeah, and it's kind of funny to think, uh, you know, you've got, got a bloke, um, young lad, driving at oh, about 300 k's through a city street and he's getting bored. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've tried to drive through there for about 80 k's and um, I was pretty excited. Yeah. yeah. I got the speeding finance to prove it as well. I scared the living shit out of some ducks. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, the cops hang around F1 Circus to catch speeders. Just ask Lewis Hamilton. There you go. Yeah, well, doing some burnouts in his Merc uh, was a couple of years back. <laughs> I always thought it was kind of funny. Like, um, if he takes that, you know, that, they find him for reckless driving. Yeah. Imagine that goes to court. You're yeah, driving, no, I wasn't. Yeah. Well, let me call our expert witness. I guarantee you I've got better expert witnesses <laughs> yeah. than you. <laughs> yeah. Here's the data yeah. from uh, turn one <laughs> coming out of our park. You're driving, actually. No, I wasn't, and I can prove it. How's that? Because I said so, and I know more about driving than you do. Uh, it was just a practice start, I think. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's doing. <laughs> but anyway, so back to the back to the races. We headed into Malaysia with 
what looked like another uh, Mercedes domination of this season. And, um, there were a few factors that, that played into it, especially the heat in Malaysia and the humidity. Mm. And so we may as well go through the results just for anyone who may not be up to date. Yeah, spoiler alert, but you know, are you, you're really not listening to this if well, you haven't yeah, watched the race. Exactly. I mean, if you watch the race and then if you, listen, if you haven't watched the race and listen to this, then yeah, you should wait for our beginner to Formula One guide, which is coming up. So we had Vettel from Hamilton, from Rosberg, and filling out the top 10 was Raikkonen, Bottas, Massa, Verstappen, Sainz Jr., Kvyat, and Ricardo ran it out. I just like saying Verstappen. It's me too. Verstappen. <laughs> and I mean, I could say Verstappen, but every time I hear someone mention it on TV, it's always Verstappen. And yeah, it just rolls off the tongue nicely. Um, um, finishing out, we had Grosjean, uh, Felipe Nasser, Perez, Hulkenberg, and Roberto Mary making his debut in the manor. Manor was an interesting, um, <laughs> interesting past few months. They were in administration, and with all their creditors, they had a meeting and decided that, in the best interest of the creditors, it was um, in the best interest of the creditors, it was worthwhile pursuing another season of Formula One. Mm-hmm. And so the creditors said okay, and they eventually got sponsorship to buy their way out of administration, and yet they rocked up to um, Melbourne, apparently on a lot of borrowed dollars from Bernie as well. We pitched in a fair bit to get them there. And didn't get to race because the engine they've got is last year's engine with um, 2015 software, which, you know, you're trying to make apples out of oranges and it just doesn't work. And so mm. two cars came over to Australia and the whole team and they sat in the garage and watched the race. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get a good view. Yeah, but, I mean, um, expensive fucking seats, though. <laughs> pretty much. Tell you the what. Thing, I, I do like that they made it, though. Me too. Um, and it, it makes so much more sense if you're a creditor. Yeah. Because um, a working F1 team is yeah. worth, you know, maybe $100 million. Yeah, we're not talking about they owe, you know, 20 grand, 30 grand. They owe hundreds of million dollars. You know, yeah. Probably not hundreds, but it's up there in the millions. But um, if they said, nah, we're going to sell off what we got, no one's going to buy shit. No. We'll be able to sell off a bunch of socket sets, maybe a few helmets, and that's it, because everything else is so custom made. Well, the funny thing is they did sell off some stuff, and um, old mate... Um... Haas. Yeah, Tommy Haas. I thought that was just rhyming saying for your ass. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, F1's been screaming out for presence in the US for ages, especially yeah. because they don't have much in the way of circuit racing in the US generally. Oh, uh, no. Because IndyCar and NASCAR are all on very um, cantered, uh, cambered um, ovals or... Yeah, well, IndyCar will do more um, street tracks mm. than... Um... NASCAR, but they're still, you know, they're still claim the fame as the high speed um, chambered circuits. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, I've got nothing against IndyCar and NASCAR. I think decent race series, but yeah. the whole um, F1 versus IndyCar thing isn't quite right. Just yeah. because IndyCar is more of a spec series, yeah, F1 has a lot more development put in, and the racing is very different. Yeah, but, exactly. The cars are set up different. Yeah, and the thing is, you don't. You don't need to like one and hate the other. You can love both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's absolutely fine. And I think um, both series provide something different. But the US is absolutely big enough to have both series, especially because in US sport tends to be fairly insular. I mean, they have the World Series where only they compete. Yeah. But um, having the F1 drivers put on a proper F1 Grand Prix, not like the bullshit they had uh, way back when, when uh, Michelin and 
Uh, oh, was that the Bridgestone? That was the last one, the Brickyard, I think, in Indianapolis. Yeah, Mitchell and Bridgestone had a bit of a tiff, and I think it was the Michelin. The Michelins tore up on the track. Yeah, it and, was. and the, the Bridgestones, there's only Ferrari and a couple of other teams, might have been Spiker as well. Yeah, there was only three teams. It might have been the Ferrari engine teams, I think. Yeah, and you know, the teams that had Bridgestone tyres said, we're safe, and then the teams yeah. that Michelin tyres said, well, we're we not going to race yeah. unless you let us get other tyres. Yeah. And then Bernie, in his infinite wisdom, says, no, nah, you brought the wrong tyre, get fucked. Yeah. And it became a Mexican standoff, and they didn't race. So they had six cars going around, and every single person who bought tickets went, well, that's a fucking yeah, waste. Yeah, go fuck yourself. That's the end of that. I and that's, that's put F1 behind a decade at least in the US. Yeah, and I think the, the best thing they, well, I think they kind of fluked it, really. Well, at the time, building the Austin track was was very good, but then when I heard they hired Herman Tilk, I was like, ah, oh, uh, shit, now we're fucked. But he's come up with a cracker of a track, like just the, the difference in elevation in that circuit. And turn one is like, whenever you're, you're going to design a racetrack, the Austin turn one is the way to go, where you've got the straight and then the whole corner opens up. So when you're trying yeah. to feed 22 cars through one corner, you've got room to avoid people. Yeah, and take alternate lines. Yeah, exactly. Cause exactly. it, and that's one of the problems with the Melbourne Grand Prix is straight off the start, it goes into that hard right-left, yeah, yeah. which means there's only one line through there, Yeah, which, which also means that drivers, they can't see much around them. So yeah. you've got the driver on the on the clean line yeah. you know, from pole, and he's going to turn in and take the racing line. Yeah, Because if he doesn't, if he goes wide, then he's pretty much pointing 90 degrees away from where he's supposed to be. Yeah. Because he can't take the, uh, the second corner then. But the guy on position two, yeah. who's coming up and... He's got the inside, so he's like, oh, I'm going to try and take this corner tight. Always end up with a bit of a bang there. Um, yep. The drivers look out for it, but, you know, it's the first race of the season. Yeah. Everyone's feeling pumped up. The guy who just got pole, you know, is, well, recently from Mercedes, but, you know, everyone's pumped up so far that it's amazing that any cars get through that first left or right left. And I think it's only, uh, I mean, you're generally lucky that the good drivers are in the best cars because... It's not the, the the front runners that cause the accidents. Oh, it's the ones no. in the midfield that are trying to win at the first corner. If it was Maldonado and Grosjean on the front, yeah, the race would be over by the first corner. Literally, there'd be a, a twenty-two car pileup. Yeah, and two uh, that would be the safety car and the medical car included. Probably a few spectators gone too. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon well, Maldonado will find a way to to get to get through a couple. Oh, they'd be they'd be taking home some pretty decent, decent souvenirs. I mean, they'd yeah. have a rear wing, probably a tire, maybe a, you know a body part or two. Yeah. So anyway, back on, back on track. We're talking about um, Manor and their start of the season. And Haas F1 actually bought uh, a lot of the Manor equipment when they put it up for auction. And um, they've also uh, sealed up the Ferrari engine. And um, so, yeah, so Manor, I mean, they were looking in trouble, but I think what's kept them together is Graham Loudon. And he's, his PR is excellent, exceptional. And he's saying all the right words and looks like he's doing all the right things. And I think they're in competent hands so long as they can get the cash to, to follow it through. Well, and I yeah. mean, if they don't, then they're just going to try and get it to a position where it's um, worth enough to sell off so they can pay off their, their creditors. Well, that, the cash is the big thing. I mean, yeah. you see um, uh, Sauber running around pretty much with a blank car. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it, it's terrible to see. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's that's the way it's going to be. You get... Uh, you get a lot of return at the moment from F1 if yeah. you're a global brand. Yeah. But uh, these days, so many companies are marketing more directly. Like, they're not having one message for the whole world. Yeah. You don't have one logo, even one company. You know, you have parent yeah. companies who have subsidiaries in, you know, the US, in China, in Australia, all around the place. So, 
it's it's much less common now, unless you're a, a AAA brand like your Coke, McDonald's, um, high-end finance or yeah. uh, an automotive manufacturer, yeah. where you want one message globally. It, it's so much harder for the smaller teams to find sponsors who want to put their name on their car. Exactly, because especially the amount they're, they're putting towards sponsorship, it's no small amount. And in F1, that goes a lot less a lot less further than in the other series where you can get a lot more exposure. Mm. But um, with, with, with Marussia, I mean, their problem is they, they had that, the win, not the win, but they got a point last season, which means they had... Two points, uh, I think. Yeah, two points. Whatever yeah. Jules got in Monaco, that was their... Yeah, he got two. Their amount, yeah. Which um, entitled them to quite a significant um, prize money towards mm. the end of the season. And so that was taken into account as well. But if they didn't start the season, they don't get that prize money. Yeah. And so that's why it looks a bit shifty where they just rocked up to Melbourne, had two cars in the garage going, oh, software problems, we can't do it. And then gone to Malaysia. And um, Will Stevens is probably the unluckiest person there. He's qualified, not qualified, He in practice, he did faster than Mary. And um, they've come through and gone, uh, software, is not, software isn't working. Yeah. Uh, Stevens, you got to sit out the race. And I mean, there is talk that they just can't actually afford to put two cars on the track. And it seems there is a little bit of legit- legitimacy to that. But, I mean, Graham Lowden came out and said, look, if we had the, if if um, if Bill Stevens' car was running, we'd definitely put it on the track. Like, why wouldn't we? Yeah. And But the thing is, he'd say that anyway, even if it was to, to do with money. And it's the right thing to say. And yeah. so if it is to do with money, they're hiding it well. And to be honest, I think they're doing the right thing because you don't want your sponsors to come out and say, we've got no cash and we can't put cars on the track. Yeah. And that's not a good thing to be associated with. So well, we'll find out what plays out with that, but yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping that they, they do make something of it just because it, it'd be such a great story because yeah. to them, success would be making it to the final race. Yeah. And when you get a team who's working so hard, and, and they would be, they'd be yeah. working you know, 15-hour days every single day just to get the cars good. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, get the cars to finish. Yeah. Uh, so if, if, if they can keep the cars on the track... Results can come. Yeah. You know, you just need a wet race or, you know, someone to go into someone else or you get a high qualifying position in a place like Monaco. Yeah. And, um, the, and the thing is, Will Stevens has proven to be a pretty decent driver. So it's not like he's just there on paying cash or anything like that. He's like a good talent. Yeah. Well, they don't give out super licenses for nothing. Um, and <laughs> unless you're Toto Wolf's yeah, missus. missus. And then it takes you six months rather than a few hours. But um, the other big thing, uh, German Grand Prix. Yeah not happening anymore no well it's only this year because um well there's talk it, it may not come back well yeah and it might be likely unless there's a few saviors but there's a lot of cash in Germany that's tied up in automotive industries so I can't see it failing but um the Nürburgring was going through a lot of trouble you know um went oh, through administration they and, borrowed way too much cash on yeah. that motherfucker and just the way they've set it up is the way they're trying to make money out of it doesn't seem smart <coughs> like you've got to have racing there that's just, yeah. there's no way about it. You've got to have series racing there. You'd want to see the Le Mans do the whole track, not the shortened, shortened circuit. But the deal they had was that they were alternating with Hockenheim for the German Grand Prix. Mm. And Nürburgring went through administration. Bernie Eccleston actually tried to buy it last year, and he got denied, and, and someone else, other investors, ended up buying it. Well, maybe because Bernie's under investigation in Germany for uh, dodgy financial well yeah i think he's spent enough time there he's just going oh, it seems like a good investment i'll try that one but um the, the new um owners just said that it wasn't going to happen and, and hockenheim 
tried to see if they could make the German Grand Prix happen, but they said there's no way it's going to happen. We can't do it financially. We can't. We, we can't do a it in the time frame. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know, while it's a, a purpose-built circuit, it still takes time. You've got to get staff, catering, yeah. tickets. Uh, you know, you've got to advertise, marshals. So the tracks got to be prepared, and there's you know when you're trying to do it every second year yeah. to then go nut, nah, turn it around in you know two months. Yeah. I I don't blame it. I don't think it'd be safe. No, no way. And you don't you don't want to go there and mess it up because mm. apparently Germany's been the biggest drop in viewership. Um, over the last few years and that's what they're really trying to fix and a lot of it could be down to the circuit um, going insolvent bull with um, the Nürburgring but viewers and especially with Sebastian dominating for a lot of years and even Mercedes winning last one there's a golden age for German Formula 1 and you cannot turn that into to viewership and Rosberg's Germanish. I mean while he is from Monaco and has only yeah. been to Germany occasionally he, he still claims to be driving out of Germany I think he's like a Russell Crowe Australian type of German yeah, but he lost, so they might have uh, given him back to Monaco. Well, that's true, but then Monaco could have gone, what? Rosberg who? Well, yeah, it's kind of rough <laughs> when uh, he's probably worth around $100 million, and in Monaco, that uh, that's your bare entry level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're on food stamps in Monaco with that amount of cash. <laughs> and so, yeah, we had an interesting race in, in Malaysia. We'll go back to that. Well, first to retire was Ericsson. Yeah. Um, Sauber are going to have a tough year. Uh I think one of the one of the funniest things that come out of Sauber though is Felipe Massa, because how many yeah. fucking commentators must hate having Felipe Massa yeah. and Felipe Massa on the same fucking grid? Because well, especially since he was the reserve driver for Williams, so imagine if he got a seat for Williams, you know, if Valtteri Nasser went to someone else, if Valtteri went to Ferrari or something, and you got Felipe Massa and Felipe Massa, and they're both fucking Brazilian as well, both I mean, Brazilian, yeah. And um, but the thing is with with Sauber, like you were saying before, with um the the ability to have uh, longevity in Formula 1 Sauber their only business is Formula 1 that's it they don't have anything outside of Formula 1 that's their sole business and it's very hard to turn a profit from um, F1 only that being said they've done very well to last as long as they have and if you remember a couple of years ago when they had Kobayashi and I mean Perez who was his teammate it was Hulkenberg I can't remember but Kobayashi got a, a podium on in Japan I think it was mm, yeah, yeah. and they fucking gave him the ass and got someone who could pay a lot more and had a shit season after that, but they've bounced back this year, and I think it's all just the Ferrari engine, to be honest. Yeah, well, and a shit aero department that you know doesn't really concentrate too much in aero. I think um, Sauber is a a great team in the tradition of racing teams, in that that's all they want to do. They just want to race, yeah. and fair play, like Minardi. But it's been shown that those teams don't survive. Yeah, you need to be able to use racing as a vehicle to sell stuff. Like uh, Enzo Ferrari famously said that his his customers are suckers. He only sells cars so we can race. Yeah. And I think that's the sort of attitude that most of the, the top-notch teams have. Like, McLaren for so long didn't really sell much. But now with McLaren technology and the McLaren sports cars, yeah, uh, they're trading in on their good name to do so many things. Yeah, and the, the ironic thing is is that it seems like it's been at the cost of their F1 performance. Because yeah, they, uh, they sort of look to boost up their out of F1 profits and they did very well at it they got uh, technology into I think it's Le Mans I think they run um, McLaren CPUs and Indy run uh, McLaren systems and I think there might even be some in NASCAR as well I know they've got their their foothold in the American market pretty strong at the moment yeah but I can kind of see how that can happen too like if you're in charge of the McLaren group and you've got a guy say working in um, superconductors or whatever yeah yeah uh, or, you know, lithium batteries. 
and he's showing 10 to 15% performance year on year of the batteries. Yep. You can put him in F1, which, you know, if, if the car does all right and it finishes, you might get an extra 10 million out of it. Yeah, yeah. Or you can put him in a development team where he's working on, say, the McLaren uh, road-going car, yeah. or even just the pure technology where they sell the batteries. Yeah. If they have that battery improved, they sell that to other companies and they make, you know, upwards of a billion dollars yeah, going well, forward. It. The first thing they do is go straight to the patent office and go, well, we've got this thing going on, so here we are. And, you know, and that's that's what that's what the way it's done. That's why the technology is, is invented in F1 and passed on through, through other enterprises. Yeah, and I think the other thing, though, with um, the current success rate of Ferrari, history has shown that, uh, well, this year's uh, road-going Ferrari is going to be shit. Yep. <laughs> Just because if the F1 team's going well, generally the uh, road-going cars suck and vice versa. We're going on the top gear logic. <laughs> Absolutely, as always. Uh, you know, without the trying to get sacked or punching a producer. We don't, don't even have a producer. We don't have a producer, well. but if he was there, I'd probably punch him anyway. Why not? Yeah, fair enough. Support Clarkson. He's been doing nothing. And I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I think that Clarkson getting fired is, you know, I think it's a very good thing. Not for the BBC, but for Clarkson, because I think get Netflix or someone to throw him his own show, get Hammond and uh, May on board, and instead of doing six episodes a year, you've probably got a full season. The only other thing I would like to see, and this is getting pretty off topic of F1, but uh, Clarkson's gone from Top Gear. That's been accepted. And anyone who likes motorsport is at the very least fond of Top Gear. Um, If you've seen the US version of Top Gear, Tanner Faust is on there. He's a, a D1 driver, Fantastic he's ability to control a legit racing car. car driver. Yeah, um, he's done rally, drift, um, circuit, all that kind of thing. Yeah, I would love to see him in the British Top Gear, um, even if it's just for a special, just because, especially with May, he tends to, he, he yeah. can he can drive legit. Yeah, but he tends to be the less uh, adventurous of the three of them. And Hammond, you know, he's he's average adventurous, and then Clark's just crazy. Well, yeah, well, Hammond's pretty adventurous. He did drive a, a, a dragster, dragster yeah, into the dirt. <laughs> didn't uh, didn't turn out so well for the poor lad. No, but uh, you can imagine Tanner Faust in there. Um, Clarkson drives loose, but not so crazy. Like he he drives a bit silly, but he's old enough to know the car well enough that he yeah. never pushes himself beyond his skills. Yeah. Whereas Tanner Faust will fucking put that thing sideways every chance he gets. Yeah, he'll be like, he's, nah, there's a little bit more in it. There's a little bit more in it. He's Stig level driving. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that would add another good dynamic. Plus, he's a little smart ass. So. Wouldn't that be funny if he was the the actual Stig for the UK show? Jeez, they go through tyres. Yeah, fucking oath. But anyway, back onto F1. Um, the other thing, Fernando and Jensen... You know, both yeah. coming in so damn low, both with DNFs. Um, McLaren Honda has a, a fantastic history in F1. Yeah. yeah. Um, pretty much, if if you've ever heard the name McLaren and you're between the ages of, say, 20 and 45 now, it's because of Ant and Senna and Lane Prost. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. No one says, oh, I got an F1 because of Gerhard Berger. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably even Gerhard's family yeah. of that opinion. Um, and I remember seeing Senna in the... Uh, red and white car, the MP45, flying around Monaco. And uh, he was just unbelievable. He was beating everyone by a second in a, in a track where you only have one line. Yeah. But exactly. he was just narrowing every corner, 
perfectly. And this is of an era where you had to fight the damn car. Like, there was no yeah, power steering. Exactly. They're driving around. The suspension's keyed directly into the chassis. So the car's yeah. vibrating. It's roaring. Um, they're manually changing gears. And he's wrestling that motherfucker around. And yeah. He was just at a whole other level. But, yeah. Uh, and the modern McLaren, just, uh, it, it's going to take a while to get right. And it is. Everyone knew that because uh, Honda coming in as a manufacturer, um, as an engine manufacturer, yeah, they have the benefit of seeing what other teams have done, yeah, but they can't quite do it because they don't have the practical experience anymore. Exactly, and the thing is, they did, didn't have access. I mean, it's one thing to watch what people do, you know, externally, but there's a different thing to be able to study the data. And I mean, I'm sure McLaren saved some data from the Mercedes engine, and they gave Honda a good look at that engine when they had it last year, but. That was last year. This year is a whole new year. And we've seen with Manor, they've got a Ferrari engine last year and they've got the new Ferrari engine this year and shit just doesn't work the same. Yeah. I think it's going to... It'll pay dividends down the track. Yeah. But uh, I I don't think they're going to have immediate immediate success. Yeah. And I think it's going to be very late in the year before they actually start to score competitive points. And uh, I, I don't think you can blame the drivers for it. No, there's no drivers, yeah. Jetson Button's a decent driver. Yeah. You wouldn't say... He's well, probably you, not you, in the top five. You don't fluke a world championship. You've got to know what you're doing to win a world championship. Regardless. Yeah, I mean, he, he was in the prime car, but you still have to get it around the track. Yeah. yeah. And beat your teammate, which is a bit easier when it's Barrichello. Yeah. Um, considering he's never beaten a teammate, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then you've got Fernando Alonso, who, to me, is the class of the field. Yeah. Um, his ability to drive a car is beyond anyone else. And I know yeah. um, Vettel winning the race... Yeah. has gone a long way to uh, redeeming his reputation. Yeah. But it, it's still not quite there for me yet. No. Um, especially because Raikkonen finishing fourth shows that the car was very competitive, which, yeah. you know, you've still got to get the car around, and he did very, very well to get it home. Yeah. But uh, the thing that always gets stuck in my craw was um, Coulthard calling it Schumacher-esque. Um, oh, yeah. Which I don't think you can compare those two drivers for a start. Um, well, besides the fact they both have a reputation of being rather arrogant, which is a bit rough to say about Schumacher when he's in his condition currently. Yeah, but, but I mean, that comes of being a racing car driver, really. Yeah, well, I remember Coulthard flipping Schumacher off a few times driving around. Yeah, they weren't best friends. No. It's fair to say that. But bloke could drive. I think oh, we, can, absolutely. we can absolutely say that. And uh, But I don't think they have a similar driving style at all. No, no, that's not at all. No, Sebastian Vettel tends to be a, a little bit more reckless, yeah, um, but not quite as belligerent as Schumacher was. Schumacher would very much put his car on the point, yeah, and just say, "Well, you know, if you don't let me through, we're both crashing." And it seems like um, Vettel is a bit more. I don't know how you how you put it, but he creates a, a better sense of brotherhood amongst his team which apparently pays real big dividends um, in just understanding what you need and what you desire, whereas Michael already knew what he wanted, and he goes, this is what I want, this is what I need, All right, this is how we do it. And he had the common thread of, of being with Ross Braun for a long uh, long time, and Jean Todd and those mm. guys around Ferrari when he was with Benetton. And so he had that, that ability to really grow with those people like Sebastian did with Red Bull. But Sebastian's left Red Bull now, so you want to see how he goes through adversity. And that, that's why it's pissed you off that he won because you want to see him struggle and have a car that's in no chance of winning a race ever for yeah. the whole season and see how he does. It's Just that true comparison. It's the same as what happened with Lewis Hamilton going to uh, Mercedes. Yeah. Coming from, you know, he was with McLaren from the time he was 12 
essentially, mm. with Ron Dennis. And then he goes into a, a championship-winning car. Yep. You kind of want to see what can you do with a second-rate car. Yeah, exactly. Because um, to me, that that is the real test of a driver. And I think it's brilliant when you see those guys pop up. Like um, like NASA. Yeah. In Australia, got fifth in a Sauber. Yeah, and to me, that's that's above par. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for his first race. Yeah, and even the uh, two Torosos, Verstappen and Sainz Jr., they did fantastic to finish where they did. Yeah, exactly. So anytime they score points, that's over par. Uh, yep. uh, under par, sorry. Um, and so I think that's where it's interesting how each team will have a different goal. Yeah. Like, if you're a Ferrari, Mercedes, or Red Bull, anything less than a driver's championship or a constructor's championship, you've got to ask questions, what's gone wrong? Just because yeah. they're, they've been so competitive for so long. Ferrari always wants to win. Um, and that's it. If Ferrari didn't win, they failed. And that's yeah. with most of Formula 1. Yeah, and they've got the engine now that they could do it. Yeah. Because, you know, the engine they can't really change. Aero, you can change a fair bit. But um, And then Williams, they're up there again. Uh, and they're another team that they're starting to get a lot more off-track income with their Williams technology. Oh, their Williams technology does great. Like, they win awards every year. I'm pretty sure last year was one of the most successful years for off-track um, revenue and things like that. Yeah, especially as more cars go to hybrid. Um, yeah. Just because with an electric motor option, you get a lot more instant torque. Yeah. Um, and I, I can see most supercars from now on being hybrids. Oh, absolutely. They're all heading that way. Even the, the new McLaren is a hybrid. And the thing with Williams is that they're not just um, inventing... They're not just um, coming up with profit-making ideas. They're actually inventing technology that's going to further our ability to drive and even safety and just what you conceive as driving or conceive as a an engine is completely mm. changing. Yeah, And they're, they're sort of the... They're <coughs> McLaren are at the, the pointy end of driving that technology and, and driving that direction and having a real say on where it goes. Yeah, but anyway, we'll... We'll move back through the field as well. Um, yep. So, above McLaren, we've got uh, Crashtor Maldonado. Yep, he's um, another DNF. Yeah, big well, fella. he did come out and say that he's a, a good chance to score points in a clean race. Um, it'll be interesting if he does have a clean race, because I don't know if he'd recognise one. Yeah, no. I, I think his clean race has been that far behind that he just drives by himself for a while. Or, you know, dodging cars. Well, that too. And um, I mean, the, the funny thing is, is that Theoretically, with the name Dodgem Cars, the aim is to dodge people. Maldonado, yeah, I think he's like from the the trend, the um the literal perception of that that definition and just crashing everyone. Pretty much, he seems to bounce off more railings than anyone else, or he puts people into them. But um, <laughs> it's one of those things where he's so pumped up. And look, bloke can obviously drive. Yeah, but maybe you just got to tell him to chill the fuck out a little bit. Maybe maybe you tell him. You're not ready yet. Do a bit of time in the minors. Just keep your money, man. Save it up. When the time's right, you'll get into Formula One. Uh, but um, it, it, actually, if the Venezuelan money does disappear, uh, he could be doing that. Well, that Venezuelan money looks like it is disappearing because they had a an overhaul of their government and got a new president or prime minister, whatever the fuck they're doing. And um, he's cutting back on those uh, expenditures into sport and then... The, the money that they're giving pasta isn't any small amount it's in the area of 20-30 mil mm-hmm. that's no small amount for Venezuela well yeah I think the Australian government spends that on staples yeah pretty much well they'll probably throw most of them out but I think that's what we spend on the Melbourne Grand Prix actually a whole lot yeah but anyway you can expect pasta to crash because 
that's just what he does. And I mean, all that money could actually turn out to be a loss for Lotus if they keep have to build him a new car. <laughs> Not that he, he uh, brought off his car this race because he didn't. Yeah. After that, you got Mary, which yeah. uh, finishing the race, brilliant for him. Yep. Um, up from that, you got Hulkenberg and Perez. Force India seem to have moved back. Oh, they've gone. They have, they've gone way back, but I mean. I'm not really sure why they've got the the Merc engine, but it seems they don't have the straight line speed as they did. But but also Tony Fernandez has got a lot of things on his plate at the moment. I'm sure Force India probably isn't at the top of his priority list. I know Queens Park Rangers getting demoted, and he he bought that share off of Bernie Eccleston in that soccer team, and they're in shit. So he's losing money hand over fist. I think he had King Fisher as well, didn't he? They yeah, were yeah. fucking bust. Uh, King Fisher breweries, airlines, all that. Yeah, all that. They're not doing so well, so it's not really a surprise to see uh, Force India down there, but it's, it just sucks for Nico Hulkenberg, who is one of the real talents on the grid, and he just doesn't get that break to get into good teams. And everyone says that, that he is a phenomenally talented driver, yeah. but um, yeah, he just hasn't had that opportunity. That He hasn't had that breakout season where everyone goes, nah, he's top class. Yeah. Because um, if you're talking driver talent at the moment, he's not even in the conversation. Well, um, yeah, and that's because he's in the car to really prove what he does. But yeah. I remember but, he was in there in the running for the Ferrari seat. Um, he was in the running for the Lotus seat when that was a highly sought-after one. Turned out to be a dud, but mm-hmm. no one knew that at the time. But he's always been in the running and just got pipped out for one reason or the other or just not being out of contract at the right time. Yeah, I mean, to me, the top five talented drivers, I'd put Alonso at the top. Yeah. Um, you've got to put uh, Vettel and Hamilton in there just because they yeah. are... No, the results speak for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, and based on a lot of other people's opinions, I'd also put Ricardo in there. Yeah. You know, being a bit biased myself as well, but... Oh, of course. It's Why also uh, everyone who's involved heavily in F1 rates him so highly. Yeah. Um, and then to round out the five, you could probably raffle off uh, Rosberg. Um, I don't know if current level Raikkonen is as good as he used to be. Yeah, I mean, he is, but Raikkonen doesn't want to... Um, do a whole lot of work outside of driving the car. So you give him the car, he'll fucking hammer that shit around like the best driver ever. But when it takes the developing the car and having mm. a shit car and going, look, where do we start? Go with this and whatever. And create an atmosphere like Vettel does amongst the boys, more or less. Well, Vettel does seem to communicate a lot. Like he gives a lot of feedback to his yeah. engineers. Whereas Raikkonen famously was just, just yeah. leave me alone, let me drive. Plus Vettel treats his team like family. Like they're his boys mm. and that's it. And you know... They celebrate together. They, you know, commiserate together. Whereas Raikkonen, you can't doubt his talent for driving a car, but he's not that sort of person. And the thing is, he doesn't have to be. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's not his fucking job to build the car. No, but I think and, it does help when everyone takes a team approach. Yeah. The other person I put in there is Bottas. I think really? Bottas is, yeah, he's a very talented driver. Very talented driver. And um, I think I think we'll see once he, after this season, I don't think he'll stay at Williams. I think he'll get a gig, maybe even with... Um, Red Bull, if um, Raikkonen might be on his last one as well. But I think he'll definitely move along. Maybe McLaren if um, Jensen gets the arse along. It'd be interesting with Red Bull because if they have a poor season, they oh. may look at it. Um, yeah. And Ferrari have shown interest in Ricardo previously. And mm. having, they'd love to have an Italian driver. Yeah. Failing that, having an Australian who's from yeah. Italy would be the next best thing yeah. for them. And he he is treated like royalty in Italy. Yeah, solely yeah. because of his heritage, and yeah. um, he did a great little piece where he went to his grandfather's hometown, um, went through you know all the things, and 
you know, it was really quite touching for him. Yeah. Uh, but the crowd loved him. They yeah. absolutely adored him. Yeah. Uh, and so if he did end up going to Ferrari, yeah, it would be a phenomenon. I would. And you even hear on the um, the radio messages whenever the Ferrari team is approaching Ricardo or whatever. <laughs> Ricciardo. Ricciardo. Uh, Fernando, you are approaching Ricciardo. <laughs> and it's like, and you've, I've even heard Dan, like, interviews, and they've said, how do you pronounce your last name? He's, ah, uh, Ricardo. That's how it is, yeah. That's how I've always pronounced it. I know it's not that way in Italian, but I grew up, that's what Dad said my name was, and that's how I pronounced it. I remember him saying, if I called myself Ricciardo at uh, high yeah. school, they would have beaten the shit out of yeah. me. Yeah, he said he got beat up enough as it was, just being, <laughs> just being you know, European. Um, he didn't need any more aggravation for, for his tormentors. Actually, on Ricardo, Kvyat. Uh, Finishing ahead of him. How yep. do you think that's going to play out? Um, well, I mean, Ricardo damaged his front wing at the very first yeah. or second corner. And so he was down on uh, a lot of times, especially there, had to do with keeping your tyres at the right temperature. They either overheated or uh, you couldn't get them to work properly. But um, his problem were tyres, brakes, and just his front wing. And you look at the the brakes of Red Bull, they recently changed um, brake suppliers. So. I'm guessing it must have been some system operational errors, just sorting out some some bugs in the system or whatever. But you can see every time they'd brake, they'd have a huge cloud of uh, black brake dust coming from the front. It's, it's like they'd redirected their exhaust to be blown out through their front wheel nuts. And um, you, you know straight away, if, if it's like lap 10, that's not good for the rest of your race when that shit's happening. And no, it seems like it's not venting properly. Well, yeah. I mean, to be honest, fuck knows what it is. Well, yeah, I don't think anyone besides a, a Formula One engineer could actually tell you yeah. from just watching it. And even then, they'd probably want to know more data. Yeah. But, um, well, yeah, I mean, with um, with Kvyat not starting for the first race, yep. it kind of makes you wonder how he would have done. Well, in the, in the open racing, he didn't actually pass him. He got let by, so... Yeah, well... That, that's the thing, is that... And from every practice and qualifying he's still about half a second off and I don't know if that's Dan outperforming the car or um, Kvyat just getting to terms with the new car but um, he's still a fair way off the pace of Ricardo. but I actually think it'll be good if because now Ricardo's got to catch him yeah well well not know, really. he's got he's got points uh, advantage but yeah. he still has to make sure he wins but he, he has yeah. to, you have to beat your teammate everyone oh, absolutely it, it doesn't matter who you are um, yeah you have to beat your teammate because if at the end of even two seasons, if you're zero and two, you're probably getting sacked. It doesn't yeah, matter who you are. Exactly. Um, you know, Raikkonen is probably on his last chance here. If he gets beaten by Vettel, which he probably is going to, they're going to yeah. question, well, why should we pay world driver championship money for a bloke who's not going to win a world driver championship? I say, well, they have previously paid him 20 million to not race. So. This is very true. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know if they're willing to blow any more cash on Kimmy. <laughs> I think they're just going to go, well, just sit out, just drive out your, your contract and we'll move along. But that's the thing, though, I, I don't it. see him sacking him, not a chance. No, but his contract's up at the end of this year, yeah? Uh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. I've got a feeling it is. And if, if that does happen, you'd have to say people willing to step in, it'd be Ricardo, Hulkenberg, or maybe um, one of the up-and-comers. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> And maybe they'll get someone from their driver academy try and um, bring some people through the ranks for Ferrari as well. I think they're still a little bit away from um, consolidating that. I think they're they're looking at more drivers getting experience in lower formulas first. Yeah, 
Well, Ferrari, uh, you know, a few different formulas that they'll stick drivers in as well. I know they had Kobayashi driving in their um, Le Mans class. Yeah. With the Le Mans, though, it's a very different race. Oh, it is, but it's just having drivers active in that system. Yeah, yeah, very true. Because, I mean, it, it gives them the opportunity to be able to be the test drivers and things like that and just have input, especially having Kobayashi still in the system. I mean, you don't need him to get in the car to be able to get some feedback about what they're doing and shit like that. Yeah, true. But And the thing is, like, yeah, with Ricardo, he's been he's been dominating Kvyat through the the whole preseason and all of the qualifying and pretty much practices from Australia and Malaysia, and there is it seems like there is a significant gap. And obviously, we're biased towards Ricardo, but the times have been pretty significant in in regards to laps in anger with all things equal. But the thing is, that won't matter at the end of the season if Kvyat is ahead of him in points. Yeah, Ricardo's going to be under massive pressure. Yeah, I mean that's true, but the thing is, the, the whole the whole way he got that seat was um, through doing testing with Red Bull, and even though he's been beaten in the points by um, John Eric Vern, they still gave him that seat because they could see that he has that speed, and he just needs that bit of luck or that bit of um, fine tuning, really fine tuning. Yeah, but he's definitely got that speed, and so I think as long as he doesn't get beaten on track, it yeah. should be sweet. But all all the the times coming back says that he's, he's well ahead of Kvyat in regards to, to pace. You've got to feel a bit sorry for Jordan Vern. I mean, he was a a fantastic driver who was driving in Toro Rosso. Yeah. Um, and you could argue he was a bit unlucky to yeah. that they gave the spot to Ricardo in the Red Bull main team rather than himself. Yeah. But, um, you know, with Ricardo having a, a, a brilliant season and beating the reigning world champion... Yeah, you know well, that they're not going to regret their decision. Well, even in that way, he got that seat. Was it was they gave Ricardo a chance to test the Red Bull in um, one of the tests, one in preseason, one in winter test. I can't remember, but um, the dig, the thing is with Formula One, they're that on key. They know the what the fuel amount is going to do to your time, what tires yeah. going to do to your time, and when they um, standardized his time with Vettel, apparently he was beating Vettel in those tests, and that's the first time he driven the Red Bull car. Yeah. So they knew straight away that he had pace, and that's why they chose him over Jean-Luc Verne, even though Jean-Luc Verne was doing better in the championship and doing a bit better in um, qualifying as well. Uh, was qualifying or racing he was doing No, better? racing. He was getting qualified by Ricardo. Yeah, that's right. But Ricardo uh, tended to get a bit uh, that's right. mixed up. Yeah, a bit too pointy in his, his front wing. Yeah, and traditionally, like, it's becoming an Australian curse, starting poorly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Weber had it, and now Ricardo tends to struggle at the start. Yeah. Uh, then you see guys like Alonso, who they might be seventh on the grid, and by the first yeah. corner they're fourth. Yeah, it's just like um, Mario Kart, where you've got to time pressing the button right so that you get the little boost. Yeah, unfortunately, Weber and uh, Ricardo haven't seemed to be able to do that. No. But uh, moving up into uh, Mercedes and Ferrari, um, even. This is only round two, but even from now, you can't see anyone except them uh, battling it out for the drivers' championship or the constructors. And if it's not Mercedes, I, I I can't see anyone putting any money on anyone but Mercedes to win no, the constructors. I don't, I don't see anyone getting past Mercedes. Although you know, who knows? It's a long season, and like we said, half of the race is development. That that's half of their fun race. It's not just racing around the track; it's development and. Ferrari got the budget to match Mercedes as opposed to Williams, who last year didn't have that budget. Mm, yeah, and so yeah, I think I think you're right there. I think we, um, Mercedes will just dominate it, but uh, well, actually, maybe not dominate. It. I think they'll win it, but there'll be a lot of tracks where people have a bit of even chance. But there are a lot of factors that come into it that are external as well. Like the reason why uh, Ferrari was so good in Malaysia was just because they could handle uh, high temperature tires a lot better than the Mercedes could. 
yeah. and there's a litany of different reasons about why that may or may not be, none of which we will truly find out because that's obviously key to their success and they're not going to just make that, that information public. But and that think, was with Toro Rosso as well. They did the same thing. I think part of it too is driving style though. Like um, yeah. Vettel has uh, often been uh, promoted for his ability to look after his tyres. Yeah. And even you know a couple of years back when he was stashing with Weber, Weber would often have to pit much before Vettel. Yeah. And Vettel could make the tyres last longer. Yeah. Um, Ricardo is famous for having his tyres last ages, pretty much because they're very very good at their exit speed. Yeah, um, and it's just being able to have that feel for traction. Yeah. There's no traction control, so you've got to feel the accelerator and your ass and whatever else you, you feel that vibration through to where that traction is. Yeah, and if you floor it too early out of the corner, you get wheel slip and that degrades the tyre further, yeah. uh, which is something Vettel's brilliant at. Uh, yeah. He avoids that degradation out of a corner. Well, he's always been good at the, the low-speed corners. He's good at yeah. a corner exit. Whereas Rosberg, not so much. He tends to go through his tyres a lot quicker than even Hamilton. Yeah. And Hamilton is one of the more aggressive drivers out there too. I, th- I think Rosberg's good at going, all right, what's Hamilton doing? I'll do that. Yeah, I mean, Hamilton tends to flat spot a lot because yeah. he, he gets on the ragged edge a lot. But he pushes his, his breaking points, and especially in, uh, well, with these past however many years, there's been a fixed fuel amount that you start with and there's no refueling. Your, your breaking points that are... Uh, going to prov- uh, move move yeah they're going like to extend every single lap they're going to be a little bit further a little bit further and so that's where you can make up time and really make up time from a good driver but it's a very fine line when you're traveling 300 clicks and you've got a break within you know 40 50 meters it's a very fine line between between where you start breaking and where you end up well yeah especially because those cars can stop on a dime yeah and the negative g's can be up to 10 so they their eyeballs are flying out of their forehead. Yeah, exactly. But um, here we are. We've got the third member of Clicking Balls just stopped in. We've got Heath. Yep, yep, yep. Keep going. It's all right. Set up. Yep. Um, we were talking about Formula One going through going through the races. Yeah, and we're we're back on to Vettel, and you know, going on to uh, well, let's look at the next race anyway, which is going to be China. China. Yep. I actually quite like the China cr- track. China track's good. It's good. Yeah. Biggest straight, oh no, second biggest straight on the on the grid. I think Abu Dhabi, no. Maybe China does the biggest straight. Well, they're good at building, you know, big, long, fucking straight things like a wall. <laughs> a track there. Yeah, the only problem is no bastard turns up to it. Well, no, that's because, I mean, it's usually delegated by the Chinese Communist Party who gets to go, I reckon. Well, that and it's middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I actually really like coming into the final straight hey you have that little um, question mark sort of um, oh like little hammerhead kind of thing yeah yeah. the inside out which really tests the cars because you've also got optional lines there so you can take tight on the first little curve and then as it widens out go wide or vice versa take loose on the first curve have your apex a little bit further around and take it in so there's great opportunity to set up a pass and then you're on the straight so you can consolidate it or you can defend it yeah um, and especially there's other things that come into factor when, when going around the, the curvy section is that what's your tyre situation? Can you afford to really go on the ragged edge of the tyres and burn them up in the sake of speed? Or will you take a different line that's going to give you a, a, a better traction point to hit the straight with and give you that higher, especially with the, with the straight where the earlier you can get into it, it's going to um, pay exponentially towards the end of the straight. That's where you make up that, that time from having that extra 
just sacrificing a bit of speed through the corner to set it up so you can go straight out of it and get a bit of extra, extra speed at the start of the straight. Especially because it's a DRS zone. Yeah. And then, of course, that straight ends in a big hairpin, which yeah. uh, you see so many drivers over Baker and end up uh, going off and having to do a, a low-speed yeah. U-turn. This is where if you qualify just in front of Maldonado, you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. We've got to beat him off the line because if he gets behind me, I'm in trouble. It will go fair up your ass. Yeah. But uh, and then of course you got the the hairpin and then short left into the another DRS zone and a decent straight with a long sweeping right and it's it's a fantastic track I reckon it's got everything you want in a track it's got sweeping corners it's got the uh, tight hairpin it's got yeah. the long straights and then you've got you know some nice little technical areas yeah you've got you've got the ability for drivers to prove how good they are as drivers not just to be at the limit of their machines yeah corners that tighten corners that open up. It, it really does test the car and the driver. And yeah. I think there's plenty of passing opportunities there. Yeah. And, and I mean, if it rains, even better. It'll be spectacular. Trino is a, an awesome race in the rain. And especially where you've got such a, a, a difference between the track, between the you know, sector probably two to three is all curvy, whereas one to half of two is just all the straights. And so you've got that payoff between the cars that have gone for aero setups and the cars that have gone for fast setups. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a brilliant race. Um, I I can't see Mercedes being beaten. Yeah, yeah. But I think qualifying will show, uh, show a few surprises. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think one of the things you have to look out for is the Sauber coming through in this track. I mean, yeah. the aero sucks, but the straight line speed may be enough that they can hold off the, the aero-rich cars and just, you know, take them down the straights. I think the, there'll be a lot of interest in how Toro Rosso does, having... You know, a, a decent couple of results. Yeah. Um, if they're able to beat the parent team again, yeah, it's going to put a shitload of pressure on the engineers. But especially if it's a cold race and they beat the the parent team, because um, a lot of time they were saying their tires, they look after the tires better than the the uh, parent team, mainly because their aero is a lot different. And and you look at their packaging for the engine. I've seen um, both engines with the cover off, and it's very very different packaging, very different philosophies on on how they've put that car together and I mean you know there's, they've just got just as much legitimate right to win a race of Red Bull than Red oh, Bull sure, do yeah. I mean traditionally they tend to not fight for position so hard when the parent team's coming through yeah but uh, those drivers are slight for themselves so they're not going to move over exactly yeah and you look at the Verstappen in the last race he was going against um, Ricardo on that and going wheel to wheel and even bullying him around pushing him around the corners and it was and great, it was great to see nothing wrong with that at all especially with the Flacky Cop for being so young and I was just as guilty thinking 17 year old really racing F1 car but it looks like he's got it and I mean Red Bull are usually very prudent in, in how they blood their, their young driving talents so you can't really really fault them for that. I remember seeing Lewis Hamilton look at Derby yeah. Sharp and say you were born in 1997 yeah he's like shit <laughs> I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of the same way that's only just happened mm. but um, yep. yeah and here's a kid 17 year old who's earning more than me by a, a long way and not a drug dealer <laughs> He may know a few, though, by now. Well, he is um, from Holland, so I'm sure he probably knows a fuckload. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so who's your tip for China? China, I can't go past Lewis, but uh, as a dark horse, I love a dark horse, I'll put um, NASA in for a fourth. NASA? NASA in for a fourth. That's um, my dark horse. You fucked more my dark horses than a Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, um, to me, the big one's going to be 
Well, I want to see how uh, Mana does. Yeah. See if uh, they field two cars. And if they can finish them. If they can finish two cars, that's a win for them. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Yeah. You know, I, I can't I can't really see how they're gonna do a lot. Um, Vettel will be the interesting one. Yep. I really want to see him fuck it up. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think he can he can stick with it. I think he can get near a podium. Yep. Uh, I think Bottas will be the one who might fill the fill stick the other it in somewhere step. where it shouldn't be. Yeah, so I think he might uh, get it a third. Yep, and it'll be Mercedes one two. Yeah, I think I think that I'll probably agree with that. All right, that's the end of episode. Fuck knows what for clicking balls. It's been Formula One, and um, we'll join you again after the Chinese race. See you later. See you later. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.